You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Amen. Uh, thank you, Jason. Thank you to our worship team. Uh, you know, hey, we know God is always with us. We are always in his presence, but he has gifted some people to awaken us to that and remind us of that reality. And uh, Jason, Jessica, that's certainly you guys. So thank you. That's our whole worship team. Thank you guys so much. Uh, We're continuing our study in the book of Psalms, so you can open it up and we're going to turn to Psalm numero uno, the first one. Now, our culture, our world, we love ranking things, don't we? You'll notice this. Next time you're at the grocery checkout aisle or something, just look at all the magazines there, and all of them will have a top 10 something. You know, top 10 summer destinations, top 10 books for the summer, top 10 summer recipes, all that stuff. I'm a big sports fan. It always makes me laugh. This is so ridiculous. Every year, like months before a season starts, so we're beginning of summer, the football season doesn't start for a few more months, but already they're putting out preseason rankings. Y'all, none of these teams have played a snap. None of them have done any. Nobody really knows who's good or bad, but as quick as we can, we're putting out rankings. And why? Is it because we want to know, we're like really curious, who's number seven? No. What do we want to know? Who's number, who's number one? We know number one matters, and it, that's true with Psalm number one. There is a reason it's number one, and it's not what you think. So you might think the first psalm, it's going to be full of the great and mighty acts of God and just the most beautiful poetry, and it's going to be grandiose and ornate, and that is not what we get. Psalm 1 is essentially about two things. It's about happiness, and it's about death. Happiness and death. The first word is blessed. The last word of the psalm is perish. But isn't that the two biggest questions we have? How can I be happy and what, if anything, will last? And what the psalmist is going to tell us is you don't get the first. You don't get happiness without figuring out the second. What will last and what will perish? The first word of the psalm, the word blessed, it's the word ashray. It's the subject of at least 26 Psalms, and you'll find it all throughout the Old Testament, and it means happy. Now, a lot of times people think happy is, you know, this kind of fleeting emotion, but understand it's not, it's not just the emotion, it's not fleeting, it's not just a temporary high. It's a word that describes a persistent state of happiness. It's a happiness that supersedes, even overcomes any and all circumstances. The bold claim of Psalm 1 is that you can be happy. You can have that kind of happiness. And I say it's a bold claim because, you know, you look around and this type of happiness, it's it's what our culture is seeking more and more, but seems to be finding less and less. You know, I still remember, it's been a couple years ago now, I remember, I don't even remember who the guy was, but it was some comedian on The Tonight Show, and he's talking about how he'd flown into there, and he's in the plane, and the internet on the plane is so slow, he can't even pull up a video, he can't even pull up an, uh, uh, his email, because the internet's so bad, and then it hits him, 
I'm sitting in a chair flying through the air at a couple hundred miles an hour with internet, and I'm still not happy. And so he says, this is our world. Everything is amazing, and no one is happy. Isn't that us? Everything is amazing. We have all we want, and no one is happy. And the psalmist is going to say, he says, the reason most of us aren't happy is because we way misunderstand how happiness works. We think of happiness like baking a cake. If we just get the recipe right, and so we get the right amount of this, right proportion of that, give enough time, boom, out pops this delicious cake of happiness. But what if you never get the recipe right? I mean, what, what if you never, never can get all the circumstances in your life to align just perfectly? In fact, what if from today, right now, a lot of these situations in your life moving forward never get better? What if your marriage doesn't change? What if your career doesn't progress? What if your sickness doesn't heal? What if the right people don't get elected? What if you never have more or different friends than you have right now? Could you be happy? The psalmist says yes. And here's why. Because happiness, men and women, it's not about the things you collect. It's not about organizing your life the right way. It's not about preventing bad things from happening. Blessedness, happiness, doesn't have anything to do with what you do or what you have because all of those things are perishing. So how does it happen? Well, that's our big idea for someone today. You are blessed when you belong. You are blessed when you belong. So let's open up the Bible. We'll read the whole psalm. It's a short one, just six verses. Let's read it together, and then we'll talk about it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the first thing the writer wants us to, to see is the direction of a happy life. He gives us the direction. Now, the writer didn't go to marketing school because he does what you're never supposed to do. He starts with a negative. He starts off by saying, here's what you don't do, but this is instructive. He's telling us something. He, he's saying to be happy, there may be some things you need to get out of your life. There may need to be some things you stop doing. And so the happy man, he doesn't just fit in. He doesn't just follow everyone else. In a word, he is different. He is counter-cultural. He's like the lady who was celebrating her 100th birthday, and they had a big bash for a big 100th birthday party, and even the news came, and the reporter sat next to her, and he asked her, what's the best thing about being 100 years old? And she just thought about it and said, well, no peer pressure. That's the happy man. It's kind of a dark joke when you think about it, but... It's the happy man. No peer pressure. He's not just floating down the lazy river, going wherever the culture is taking him. And many Christians today, many of us, y'all, we just want to fit in, don't we? We just want to be well-adjusted and well-respected. 
Even as a parent, many parents, our highest hope for our kids is that they'll just be liked and popular and fit in places. But if we want to be happy, if we want our kids to be happy, we have to be ready and willing to swim against the current. That's what he's saying. So what are those things? What are we not supposed to do? He gives us three causes, and there's a momentum to them. So they, they each kind of build on top of each other. So he says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. This is, he's talking about intellectual agreement. The way, whatever goes on around you, the way you think about it, the way you process it, the way you form plans, your, your mindset on things. Then he says, we don't stand in the way of sinners. So we're walking, now we're standing in the way of sinners. Here he's talking about your lifestyle, your behavior, your actions, your practices. It's those things that usually we do the most, but think about the least because they're just automatic to us. We do it without thinking. I saw a post online, someone asked a question. He said, okay, people from other countries that have been here in America What's the weirdest thing about America that Americans don't even realize? That's some great responses. So one person said, listing prices without tax. Now, y'all, I read that and I thought, of course we do that. Until I read that, I thought, I never even thought of any other way of doing it. But once somebody points it out, I'm like, why do we do it that way? It makes a lot more sense. Just tell me what it's going to cost. Don't make me do the weird math in my head before I go to the cash register. That seems way better. But I never even thought about it. I just did it. The other person said, free refills. Why does everyone order a large when it comes with a free refill? It's a good question. Another person chimed in, I took a large McDonald's cup home just to show everyone they were in awe. It's not like that everywhere else. Another person said, how many versions of every food product there are? You can't just have one thing. It has to come in blueberry, vanilla, diet, low fat, low sodium, big, small, round, and grape. Everything is grape flavored. Y'all, I was in Brookshire's this weekend. Sure enough, I started noticing everything comes in grape flavor. One person said, there is so much water in your toilet bowls. Seriously, why so much? I don't know. I never thought about it. Last one's for Caleb. Your love, your hidden love for pickles. I've been in the States for like eight years and you guys give a pickle with everything. I don't know why we do that, but it seems normal. So how many of these things have you never even thought they could be any different? That's because we're standing in the way of our culture. It's just the way we do things around here. Finally, he says, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. So we've been walking, and then we're standing, and now we're just sitting. We've set our watermelon down in the seat of scoffers. And this is a picture of allegiance. It is belonging Where one settles most comfortably, your tribe, your squad, your people, who you naturally fit in with. And so think about the lunchroom back when you were in school. And that table you sat at, that is where you belong. And he says here, we have a tendency to sit to want to belong with scoffers. Now, what's a scoffer? That sounds bad, but what is it? A scoffer in the scriptures is someone who is completely devoted to themselves. It's a me monster. They are proud. They are self-focused. And throughout the Bible, over and over, these scoffers, they, they can never find wisdom. They can never really be happy because they will not listen to correction. They will not, not sacrifice for the good of the whole. They are the me monsters. They say, it's all about me. 
And so this is amazing, y'all, but it is so true. All of us, most people tend to have a, a desire to sit with, to belong to a bunch of people who are all really in it for themselves. And this is the way most, most of us work. Most of us, you know, we're going through life and we're really kind of writing a movie in our head. And I am the hero of the movie that I'm writing and the rest of y'all are just the supporting cast. You're just there to make me look good. That's how most people operate, even when we congregate, congregate together. So, if you cannot find happiness, if it's constantly escaping you, he's saying the core issue might be that you need to break an allegiance. You are belonging to something you shouldn't belong to. You're sitting at the wrong table. So it's time to get up and move to a different table. But notice here, notice to change direction. He's talking about a change of life direction here. To change direction, most people will have to move away from the things that seem most natural to them. From the people they fit in with the most naturally, from the things that may seem the most obvious to them about how life works and how it should be, from the ideas that they've agreed with their whole life. They may have to change a direction from those. Well, that sounds hard. Who, who would do that? Why would you do that? Well, he says, walking away from these things, people are motivated to do it, not because they're just smarter than everybody else. They figure something else out. Not even out of some, you know, sense, noble sense of duty. They do it to pursue pleasure. And the pursuit of pleasure makes them get up and change tables. Let's look at verse 2. He says, the happy person moves toward what delights him. Now, what is it that delights him? He says, the law of the Lord. I know that was at the top of your list too. If I ask you to make a list of what delights you, the law of the Lord. Now, when we hear law, we just naturally think rules, but it's so much bigger than that. The word is the, the Torah, and it's essentially a summary of all the teaching, all the instruction, all the doctrine. It's a summary word for all the words of God. It's God's mind written down in the scriptures. Now, this is amazing to me. So when this guy, when this happy, blessed person, when he walked away from the wide road and what everyone else was doing, and he became delighted in God's law, his life didn't get boring. It got exciting. It got delightful. It got happy. That word he says meditates. He says he meditates on it day and night, all the time. It carries this idea of like murmuring, muttering, like kind of speaking under your breath. The way you do when something, you're obsessing over something and it's on your mind and you can't help but kind of talk about it. So have, have you ever done this? Have you ever stopped and asked for directions? And all of a sudden, you weren't prepared for this, but the directions get really complicated. You know, like, okay, you can go to Warburg, take left, down the hill, watch for the stop sign, but not that stop sign, the next stop sign, and then turn around, jump on your left foot. And you want to lock into information, so what do you start doing? You start repeating it to yourself, kind of mutter, okay, that's it, that's what he's talking about. God's word, he delights in it so much, he wants to lock it in, so he kind of talks about it under his breath. Now, here's the deal. Everyone does this with something. If it's not the law of the Lord, you do it with something. We all let our minds be consumed with what we value the most. 
So that's whatever that is, whatever that thing that delights us, whatever that's where our highest allegiance is, and that's what tends to consume our minds. Easiest way to, to see this, like a lot of spiritual things, is in the mind of a child. Have you ever walked up to a small child, asked them one question, and got a 35 minute long answer? You have just found what that child delights in. You can all experience this. Just find the closest, like, five-year-old boy, ask him one question about dinosaurs, and then get comfortable. That's what, that's what this is. That's what he's talking about. So do you want to know what you belong to? Do you want to know what your highest allegiance is? Just ask, what gets all of my mental energy? What do I meditate on and focus on and obsess over? Is it your work, your kids, your comfort, your reputation, your future? What other people think about you? And maybe you think, you know, I don't, I don't meditate over things with delight, but maybe you do it with worry and anxiety. I'm convinced the most common form of meditation in our culture is worry, is anxiety. That is often the way things consume our minds. And so it's worth asking yourself, what, what is it? What, what do you obsess over? Because you think your happiness depends on it. And then let me ask you another question. Does all that worry, does all that anxiety ever lead to happiness? Has anyone ever worried their way into happiness? Of course not. But imagine, imagine if all that anxiety could be replaced by delight in God's word. Well, that would put us in the direction of happiness, wouldn't it? Of course it would. So he, he starts off giving us the direction of the happy, the blessed person. Next, he gives us the description of the blessed life. It's an illustration. This is a, a psalm with pictures, my favorite kind of book, okay? And the picture is the picture of a tree. And the tree is going to teach us two things, really two things about being blessed. Number one, it's internal, not external. Number two, it's byproduct, not the pursuit. It's the byproduct, not the pursuit. So he tells us five things through this tree. Five ways the blessed person, the happy person is like a tree. He has stability. He says he's planted. He has vitality. He has life. He says he's by streams of water. He has productivity. He says he gives its fruit. Fourth, he has durability. He doesn't wither. Number five, he has prosperity. He says all that he does prospers. So let's look at those one by one. So first, stability. He has roots. This tree has roots that go deep down. This, again, is a picture of belonging. We even use it the same way today. To, to set down roots somewhere is to make a home, is to say, this is where I'm going to belong. I'm going to set down roots. And these roots, listen, they don't hold it back. They don't inhibit its freedom. These roots give this tree access to life. The tree is happy. It is full of life because it belongs in the right place, because its roots are set deep down in the right place. And that gives it next vitality because it's next to the streams of water. And this is a, a stream of fresh living mountain water, okay? This is not a picture of some stagnant, nasty pond, okay? This is the, the mountain stream that's in all the bottled water commercials, okay? That's the picture here. And because the tree has deep roots, what can it do? It can take that living water and soak it in. 
and bring it inside of itself. Now, in context, remember this is an illustration, this is a metaphor, what is the streams of water? It's the word of God. He's, when he talks about meditating on God's word at night, the picture is roots of a tree that are soaking in God's word into itself. And that water has to get inside the tree. So the tree, it can't give life just by knowing about the water or just by looking at the water or by having a friend who's really close to the water. What does that tree have to do? He has to somehow get that water from out there to in here. And you, you need to know this morning, listen, it's entirely possible to come to church a lot, even serve a lot of people, even be a good moral person, and you're kind of around God, but God isn't in here yet. You haven't drawn on him. You're not depending on him. His word has not reached deep inside of you the way that tree does with that water. So he's saying you have to belong to him. It's a picture, again, that happiness is internal. It's not external. It's belonging to the right source of life and bringing that source of life into myself. When he does that, he says next that the, the tree has productivity. It yields fruit. Now, on a tree, the fruit of the tree is not for the tree, is it? It may be to plant some future trees. It may be to feed an animal or a person. And so you see the tree now has become the opposite of the scoffer. The scoffer says, this is all about me and all for me, but this tree that's full of life becomes generous. The blessed person becomes a blessing to others. Fourthly, it has durability. It does not wither. So because under the surface, the tree draws its roots, uh, that draw its life internally, it has life regardless of what's going on out there, regardless of what season it is. Now, the external circumstances, they may be hot and dry and devoid of life, but that's okay because its life is internal. See, when your happiness is internal, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what all those external circumstances are, does it? Let the weather do whatever it wants to do. I was never counting on that for life anyway. Paul talks about this. Paul says, I know how to be content regardless of the situation, regardless of the external circumstances. In times of plenty and in times of want, I found the secret because how? It's not external, it's internal. It is Jesus who strengthens me, who, who is at work inside of me, no matter what else is going on out there. Finally, he says, he prospers. Everything he does prosperous. Now, this is not saying that blessed people don't experience hard things. Listen, it, if a, a violent storm comes through, that tree is going to experience it just like everything else does. That word prosper, it means succeeds. It means triumphs. It's a, it's a victory. It's when the battle is over, who's standing? So you got two boxers in a ring. When that last bell sounds, which one of them is left standing? The psalmist says, the tree not the storm. It remains because its blessedness, its happiness is internal, not external. The tree was never, never counting on the weather to make it happy anyway. So that storm comes and then it goes and that tree remains. I think the, the writer here, he's trying to tell us, if you can see it, it won't make you happy. 
if you can lay eyes on it and touch it and feel it and experience it, that's not what ultimately is going to make you happy. See, most of us, when we aren't happy, we try to fix it in the exact wrong way, don't we? We start trying to change all the external circumstances while we ignore the internal. So let me get a little more free time, a little more rest. Let me get a little bit bigger house. Let me change jobs. Let me get this person in my life to behave the way I need them to behave. Don't look at each other, okay? But that won't triumph. That won't last. True blessedness is internal. It's not external. Next, we get a a contrast of this description. The opposite of the tree, he says, is the chaff. And notice, we get three phrases to describe the tree. We get one short phrase to describe the chaff. And that's on purpose. It is abrupt. It is gone almost as quickly as it arrives. He says the wicked are like chaff. So the wicked, that means godless. That's literally what it means. Those without God. Those who have not pulled from that source of living water. They don't have the roots that have reached deep down and soaked them up. So what is chaff? So chaff is a part of wheat. So to, to, to use wheat, you got to separate the wheat seed from the chaff as this kind of coating around the seed. And the way they would do that was they just take some wheat and they throw it up in the air. And that wheat seed has some weight to it, so it'll fall down. The chaff, it is light. It has no weight to it. And so even without hardly any wind at all, it'll just blow away and kind of dissipate. And so it's the complete opposite of a tree. You see, it's firmly planted. This, this chaff, it has no weight. It has no roots. There's nothing holding it in place. And so it can and it will go anywhere. It'll just go anywhere. It has, now, it has complete freedom. And many of us equate happiness with freedom. No, nothing's more free than the chaff. But it will not be happy because it does not belong anywhere. It's just going wherever the wind blows. And many people, like chaff, can and will go wherever the wind blows looking for happiness, won't they? New diet, new parenting techniques, new city, new schools, new friends. But the Bible teaches that blessedness, it's the byproduct, it's not the pursuit. It's not the primary thing we pursue, and if we do, we'll never find it. Think about the tree. The tree's happiness is just a byproduct of where it's planted. It made sure it had deep roots next to the living water, and the happiness came as a byproduct. It belongs where it's supposed to belong. Jesus gave this principle. He said, listen, if you seek to save your life, if you're always looking for your own life, your own happiness, you'll never find it. But if you seek me first, if you make me the primary pursuit, guess what? Then you'll find life. He's saying, I'm primary. Happiness will be a a byproduct of your relationship with me. But if your own happiness is your primary concern, you'll never find it. And so this morning, listen, if happiness is escaping you, you've been trying to grab it and it keeps slipping through your, your fingers, it might be because you're making it the primary pursuit of your life. You're chasing it wherever the wind blows like chaff. But that is not how it works. You have to choose who you will belong to. Choose what really has the source of life and make that primary. Make that where you will sit. Make him where you will belong. If you choose right, that happiness comes as a byproduct. 
That's what Jesus said. Seek first my kingdom. And then what? All these other things will be added to you. So first he gives us the direction of a blessed life. Then he gives us a description. Finally, we see the destination of the blessed life. But we also see the destination of the unhappy life. He begins with a contrast. He talks about, let's see what happens to the wicked. So verse 5, he says, the wicked will not stand. It's the opposite of that tree that triumphs, that remains, that will fall and scatter, just like the chaff. Why? We said the wicked have no justification. He says they will not stand in the judgment. Justification means to be declared righteous. So picture a courtroom, and you're there, and you're on trial, and you need someone to declare you innocent, to declare you righteous. He's saying those without God, the wicked, they will have no one to declare them righteous in the judgment. He says they have no communion. They won't stand in the congregation of the righteous. They're cut off. They're outside the community of God. They won't belong. And finally, he says, they will have no hope. They will perish. Again, the opposite of the tree that endures, the picture here is not only are they gone, they've left no trace behind. That's the thing about the chaff. So the chaff, once you toss it up, a couple minutes later, there is no sign that it was even there. You have no idea where it went. It has disappeared. But he says not just the, the individual, not just the person will perish. He says their way will perish. Their whole way of life. So everything that they belong to, everything that they pursued, everything that they looked to for happiness is going to be like a bad fashion trend from the 80s. In fact, kids, if you're still paying attention, okay, I'm gonna, this, this is how you figure out what the psalmist is talking about here. Go home and find your parents' high school yearbook, okay? You're going to find a lot of hairdos and a lot of outfits that are going to make you laugh. Now, when they were wearing those things, they thought they were cool. They thought they were trendy. But those trends have perished. They're gone. It's the same with every new trend that claims it will make you happy. Every more enlightened philosophy, every new product and gadget, what seems innovative and cutting edge today will seem silly and outdated tomorrow. So, men and women, happiness, happiness is not found in what is trendy. Happiness is found in what is timeless. It is found in what will always last, always endure, will always be true. It will never perish. And that's, that's the way of the righteous. Look at the, the, right, the way of the righteous in verse 6. He says, God knows their way. Isn't that amazing? So when we delight in God's law, when we meditate it day and night, when we bring it into ourselves, it's not just that we know God, He knows us. That word knows, it's, it's not just general quiz knowledge. It's not like knowing, you know, the 50 state capitals. It's relationship, it's intimacy. It's the same word used for how a husband and wife know one another. It's a deep emotional bond. And here in this passage, it's a participle. It's an ongoing action. So he's saying God continually knows, always knows. God is like that little blue dot on your map app on your phone. Anytime you can pull it up and it knows exactly where you are on your journey. 
But it's more than that. See, God, he's not just a GPS. He's a husband. He doesn't just know. He is personally concerned about every step you take. And this word knowledge, it implies action. So he has a knowledge with an intention to act. So we read in Exodus 2, when God's people, the Israelites, when they're in slavery in Egypt, it says God knew their suffering. He knew it. It's not like he just read it in a newspaper and said, oh, that's interesting, and went about his day. He is deeply concerned, and he intends to act. And so what did he do? He set his people free because he knew their suffering. He intervened. The psalmist here is saying, you, you are happy because you belong to God. He knows you. He sees you. He intervenes on your behalf. And that's when you're blessed. You're blessed when you belong to God. And men and women, this is so important. We have to understand that blessedness is only found in a relationship with God. And here's why. Because at the end of this day, Psalm 1 is not about you. And it's not about me. And I know, I know already some of you have promised for the 117th time this year that you're going to read your Bible more. And that's good. You should read your Bible more. You know, and some of you, you you've promised yourself you're going to separate from some of those unhealthy things in your life. You're, you're going to have the willpower to become the Psalm 1 man or the Psalm 1 woman. But let's be honest. You know that even if you read your Bible every day, you don't delight in God's word all the time. Even if you're here and you're full of resolve and you're genuine and, and, you, and you mean it, you can imagine where you always, day and night, meditate on God's word and delight in it. You are not the Psalm 1 man. You're not the Psalm 1 woman. But you know what? You can have a relationship with the Psalm 1 man. Jesus is the Psalm 1 man. Jesus is the tree. Think about it. He never sat in the seat of scoffers. He delighted to do God's will. Even when facing the cross, he said, Lord, not my will, but yours. He meditated on God's word day and night. He was careful to do all that it said. He lived a perfect life. And then he told his disciples this thing. In John 15, he told his disciples, they're probably walking through a vineyard somewhere, and he said, you know what? I'm the vine. You're just the branches. So all you need to do is abide in me. All you need to do is graft yourself, attach yourself, belong to me. Don't go try to plant yourself next to the living water. Don't try to grow those roots on your, by yourself. He's saying, I'm already there. I'm already the tree. Just abide in me. You are blessed when you belong to Jesus. You belong to the Psalm 1 man. And we get the blessings of the Psalm 1 man. You know, throughout this week, there's really one image that God kept using to show me how this works, belonging to Jesus. It's the summertime. And so often in the summertime, my kids will go off, you know, they'll go to camp or they'll go see their grandparents or whatever. And we've, whatever reason, we've been apart maybe for a couple days. And then as soon as they come home, we all together, what's the first thing they wanted? Well, when they were younger, not as much anymore. But especially when they were younger, the first thing they wanted to do was come sit in my lap. They wanted to sit with me. Now, why? Is it because some preacher told them they needed to? No. Is it because they were trying to earn my love and be the Psalm 1 kid? No, it's because they belong to me. 
They know that I know them and they know me. That's why they wanted to sit with me. You are blessed when you belong to Jesus. And so, listen, maybe some of you are here and you've been at church today and for a long time just kind of as the next step to to arrange your circumstances and try to find happiness. Another way to get the recipe right. Another way to arrange all the externals in your life. Let me invite you this morning to try something different. Sit with God. Abide with him. Belong to him. Crawl up in his lap. And then as you do, watch as he changes you. Watch as his word becomes your delight. Watch as he takes over your mind instead of all that worry and then anxiety. Watch as you are blessed as you belong to Jesus. And you may say, well, how do I do that? The Bible says it's real simple. Faith. Faith is our roots. Faith, belief, is the way that we soak up the living water of Jesus Christ and abide in him. And so there's no magic prayer. There's nothing special you got to do just today. And every day you just believe. Believe that He created you, that he loves you, but that you, instead of belonging with him, separated yourself through sin. But he knows you. He knew your suffering. And so he came to earth. He put on flesh. He lived the perfect Psalm 1 life you couldn't live. And he died the death you deserve. And he rose again. And because of that, he now stands and declares you righteous. He stands in that courtroom and says, this one's with me. I know this one. He's righteous. All you got to do is believe that. And if you've never believed that before, listen, me, any of our elders, we would love to talk to you after the service. Simply believe you're blessed when you belong to Jesus. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.